I started this out by saying I was amazingly naive. I was. I had no idea that this would get on the radar, no, no pun intended, of somebody like the Navy or the Army or the, or the DOD, which eventually did come knocking. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We're going to be chatting with Danny Younger and Joseph Matheny a little bit later. Matheny? Matheny. Um, well, virtual reality and QAnon and all sorts of like, uh, what's the word for that sort of gaming? Well, there was the ironic school of conspiracy, but it was also, um, it was called something that's alternate like gaming. reality, alternate reality, I think alternate gaming reality or I don't know. It's crazy stuff, but it's, I mean, <laughs> Graham fucking beefcake Dunlop. I was going to give you that this week too. And you fucked it up because you came in unannounced. That's okay. Next year. Um, yeah, I kept asking if he was Q. He did not appreciate that. You're going to get me killed. No, he's <laughs> he's just been called Q before, so. Well, because he created a, what was that online sort of weird game he created that everyone thought? <laughs> Ong's was, Hat. Ong's Hat, which everyone thought was like a CIA or some sort of weird, like, thing, or <clears throat> I don't know what the word proper word for it is. It's like people thought it was like a movement or like a gateway or a puzzle portal, that you were going to follow to some sort well, it was, of crazy it was end, a puzzle, yeah. but it was all just sort of a game and people were starting to question whether it was real or fake or. And of course people got too into the game. Yeah. yeah. It always happens. But it's interesting because this was back in the early nineties before conspiracy was a bad word. So we do talk about that quite a bit as well, the contemporary conspiracy. Conspiracy is a fucking bad word. I mean, we used to consistently always, for like years, we've been in the top 20, 30 on, in the philosophy section of iTunes in the U.S., and we're just wiped from the fucking map now. Really? Yeah, we don't even show no up. No way. Don't show up in the top 200. Maybe the show's just that bad, but I mean... No, no, no. I don't no, think you can't, so. It's not growing. It's not, it's, it's growing and we're doing better. It seems like, to be growing. Metrics, the community's so, growing. All so the metrics just, are going yeah. up. Who knows? But, uh, yeah. I have to say, I'm checking right now, actually. I was going to say. Because I did an now. experiment. Okay. So. Talk about it. I changed, well, because it's always been, I've always had, so I've changed the, the Grimerica show, but I changed it in iTunes to the Grimerica show. Not your grandparents' paranormal conspiracy podcast. A little SEO, so we should because we didn't show up if you search paranormal or conspiracy or anything like that. So I changed the title of that. We start showing up. Then I'm like, maybe conspiracy is a bad word these days. Let's take that out of the title. See what happens. And you did take it out of the title. Yeah, and I have. I forgot. Yeah, and you forgot to look. I forgot, or to you check. forgot to take it out. I forgot to check. So now this is the real live checking time. We are checking on the fly. So what did you just take that one word out? That was it. Leave the rest the same. Yeah. So we're still not on here. So then maybe we just, we're just headed downhill. Yeah, maybe yeah, this is the just, end. Yeah. So the, yeah, this I believe is on the list. Here be monsters, animal mind podcast, or maybe, you know what it could be is so many people are gaming the system now that. The hidden experience is up there still. 
that are gaming the system, or maybe we're just, maybe we're just we need shitty. some reviews. Maybe we're just shitty. I think we're okay, though. Yeah, but you were looking in there. You said we have a lot of reviews. I mean, we should almost p- push for a thousand as well. We could we could start that initiative again. Anyways, we got two other many things, too many other things going too on. Too much stuff on there, girl. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, our our name still says not your grandparents' paranormal conspiracy. Oh, podcast. so so much for editing that out of there. Well, I don't know. Maybe it takes a week or two. You know, it took really? it took a while to accept a new podcast. Thirteen questions. It took them longer than I expected for them to add that to the thing. Yeah, like a week. Like and you a half. were thinking, it used to be like, a day. You were thinking they're looking at the the main feed, the Great American. They're looking at it, going, "We don't need yeah. another one from these guys." No, I wasn't thinking. I think Apple's just it's just get people. A lot of people are making podcasts and stop doing it. So the average, the average on Libsyn, which is the biggest podcast host on the planet, the average is seven episodes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Really? Seven. The average, yeah. or you the know, it's mean, funny is the mean or the average. It's funny is Truffaut made it to seven. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. He's, right, the He's right at the average. He's an average guy. <laughs> Shout out to Michael. We love you, buddy. We got 374 five stars in the U.S. Wow, that's pretty good. That's okay. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yep. Let's of get that sucker up to 1,000. I think yep. the algorithms like multiply if you get this to 1,000. That's right. Head over to goamerica.ca slash iTunes or whatever. Review us, rate us wherever you can. Share us wherever you can. Even if you don't watch on YouTube, I think if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, I think our next goal on YouTube is to get to like 10,000 subscribers. We can start getting, I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good goal. Yeah, we got to yeah. do that. We got to, like, might as well, right? There's. We got to set goals, baby. Yeah. yeah. 10,000. Go fucking subscribe to YouTube, please. What else you got? I got lots of stuff. You got lots of stuff? Yeah. Can I play a jingle? Yep. Actually, you know what? I'm going to start with my stuff this week. I've had enough of your stuff. Actually, uh, let's do this. Get this out of the way. The P.O. box? Oh, shit. This thing ain't working. This is the problem. Can you talk? Don't mind the the technical troubleshooting as we go here. Say something. I think Darren's uh, looking for the P.O. box jingle because he's got... He's got a package from the P.O. box. I think I know what it is, but it's been a long time coming. It has? Yeah. How do you know it's for me? Oh, it's got your name on it. Oh. It actually says Darren Grimes. I don't like that for some reason. Darren Grimes. For some reason that makes me nervous. Yeah. Somebody's picked you out. I wasn't going to play that jingle, though. I was actually trying to play the... the, uh, Social media jingle? No, the... uh, Darren Grimes. How soon you forget. Well, I don't have a new jingle yet. Okay, so you know there's no more yes. UFO quotes, right? Yes. Okay. But it's just a, it's a wonderful jingle. Who said this? Okay. For the last 400 years... An unstated assumption of what science is, of what, oh, an unstated assumption of science is that human intention cannot affect what we call physical reality. Our experimental research of the past decade shows that for today's world and under the right conditions, this assumption is no longer correct. Rupert Sheldrake. Close. 
uh, Dr. William Tiller, former head of the material sciences department at Stanford University. Damn it. How was that close? That's pretty good, eh? Oh, it just sounds... You just sounds, you're just sounds being English. nice. He might you're just be a English. nice guy. Appreciate it, bud. Here, now we'll do this. No, no, no. I got another, oh, I got another, another one. one. Oh, we do one from each book? Yeah, we do one Ooh, from each book. This is fun. Yeah. I'm serious about getting so the guess, Bible in here. I want to do Grammarica Interprets the Bible. We should go through. We'll do a couple passages a week. And we'll give what we the book think of Enoch or the like the real. We'll, let's do the book let's of Enoch book of first. We'll see how that goes. Okay, this is this is applicable. Is this how cults get started? <clears throat> Are you really wanting to become a religious so we don't have to pay tax? No, I just want to see. What's the, how do, is a slippery slope? No, I know I have a slippery slope between like becoming a religion and then ending up a cult. I mean, how do you stop that? From I happening? don't want to become a religion first and foremost. Grimerica. I just haven't. <laughs> I haven't read the Bible since I'm a kid. I don't really remember most of it. You know, you're going to be bored after the first couple of pages. You'll be like, "This, we've enough of this segment." It'll be one of those. We start it up and then it fizzles out right away. Like, let's just finish the reading boring? that we're doing on the black budget. Okay. Oh fuck! Yeah, we should. We do should that. just finish that. But I'm talking about for the real segment. Okay, how would you just send your favorite Bible passages to Graham, and we'll tell you what we think. Actually, some mean. of the passages are kind of cool. I, I think I they are. I think yeah. we could totally redefine what the Bible means. Okay. But I don't want to be a cult. I just want to check it out. So this, this is applicable to this podcast with Danny and Joseph because they talk about conspiracies and fake conspiracies and real conspiracies and alternative reality games. So who said this? We used to laugh at conspiracy theorists. But from FIFA to banking scandals to the Iraq war, it seems they may have been onto something after all. You'd have your mate who after a few beers would tell you that the moon landings were faked or that the Illuminati controlled everything, or that the U.S. government was holding alien autopsies in Area 51, and you would be able to dismiss this because it was all rubbish. It's true that there was always the big one, which wasn't quite so easily dismissed. This was the Kennedy assassination. But here, you could be fairly sure that the whole thing was a terrible, impenetrable, murky morass. You knew that some things never would be known and never would be released, partially redacted by the CAA 200 years in the future. And you knew, whatever the truth was, it was probably a bit dull compared to your mate's flights of fancy involving the KGB, the mafia, and the military-industrial complex. Besides, it all made for a lot of very entertaining films and books. This nice, cozy state of affairs lasted until the early 2000s, after Ong's hat. No, I'm just kidding. I just threw that in there. But then something changed. These conspiracy theorists, though, these conspiracy theories don't look so crazy. And conspiracy theorists don't look like crackpots. In fact, today's conspiracy theory is tomorrow's news headlines. It's tempting, I suppose, to say that we live in a golden age of conspiracy theories, although it is only really golden for the architects of the conspiracies. From this, from the Iraq war to FIFA, to the banking crisis, the truth is not only out there, but it is more outlandish than anything we could have made up. That is... Hmm, government? Alex Proud from The Telegraph in 2016. I would have never fucking guessed that. <laughs> I don't well, even that, know who Alex Proud is. That's what this is segment's going to be like. I mean, Sounds like a hate group. 
That's okay. I'll do my best. He's been unintentionally banned off of social media because of the algorithm. Really? <laughs> He's a, we should come up with a term for those people. He's like an algorithm refugee. Get out a pen and paper and write this down. Or a pencil. Or a pencil. Why don't you send some physical mail to the Grimerica show? At P.O. Box 16033. Next line. 100-815, 17th Avenue, SW. Next line. I'm reading the the uh, return address. Next line. But it's, but it's not a real return address. It's just a manufacturer. I get a little nervous opening these packages sometimes. I get less nervous when they're like from... Uh, it's like, remember you opened, put that disc in your computer. Your computer's never really been the same. We never really figured out what was on that I know, disc. where is that disc? I don't know. Give it to the handler and see. Let's give. Oh, what do we got? Oh, that's not what I thought it was. I, I, I predict it's oh, you a know what? Canadian flag in the, with the pot leaf on it. This is off of the... Someone bought this off of Amazon, I bet. Is there a note there? There's a note from the guy who made the shirt. Oh, it's a shirt? From the guy that made the flag. Please oh, leave flag. a five-star feedback, and I will do the same. Sweet. There's no note. But it's a Canadian potley flag. The, un the unboxing. Show, show the camera. Remember we were saying we were going to start an unboxing channel? People yeah. send us a bunch of stuff. We'll just open it up. Throw it in the dumpster. Open it up. Open it up. You done that? Oh, it's huge. Wow. Wow, that's pretty cool. Hang it over the banner. <laughs> <clears throat> we could hang it in between us. I don't have to look at you. Good you job, buddy. You have to breathe in my smoke. Yeah, that's nice. That's for a green room. Uh huh? <laughs> You're a dork. Uh, so now, uh, okay, what do you got? Do you want me to play a jingle? It's up to you, dude. Okay. Whatever you want. I'm going to do what I want this show. Not even think about it. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the America Newsletter. We're not reading Flat Earth comments yet, right? Oh, oh, oh no, let's, let's leave that, because I have an email to read about it's that. over a hundred. Okay, we got... On the Dell Big Tree Vaccine Truth episode. Oh boy, oh boy. Thanks for the great show, guys. Here's a little more on the aluminum issue that is discussed at about the 36 minute mark. People who compare ingested to injected toxicity that don't understand the difference between injected toxins versus ingested toxins. Here is an example of why toxins injected with vaccines are worse than ingesting toxins. The aluminum in vaccines is. 0.03% absorbed when it is ingested. Aluminum is 45% adult to 65% neonate absorbed when it is injected. 
Since aluminum has a half-life of seven years in the body, the aluminum in the vaccine schedule is very cumulative. This pattern holds true almost all this pattern holds to almost all toxins because 70% of our immune system is in our guts and compounds such as aluminum are bound by silica in the food and go right through. You can, after all, drink the same amount of snake venom that would kill you from a bite relatively safely. Vaccine pushers need to stop comparing injected to ingested toxicity because it makes them look stupid. These toxins add up, especially when they are taken in highly absorbed injected form. When the child is premature or the child has an impaired detox pathways, every one of them gets a child closer to the tipping point. This is particularly true when a child is given a series of catch-up vaccines all at once. P.S. Have you looked up synergi- Have you looked into synergistic toxicity? Synergistic toxic toxicity makes the vaccine ingredients more dangerous. This is when that's like the polysorbate idea that helps the aluminum get into the brain. This is <clears throat> that's his example actually. This happens because a vaccine ingredient such as polysorbate eighty opens up the blood-brain barrier. Another example is that mercury and aluminum have a synergistic toxicity. These effects are in addition to factors such as an aluminum load that exceeds FDA standards. This video examines the amount of aluminum in the first 18 months of the vaccine schedule and compares it to FDA regulations. Sherry. There's a video there. It's on the YouTube. It's in the comments of the Dell Big Tree YouTube episode. If you guys want to check out that video. Uh, we got more flat earth, flat earth, flat earth, flat earth, flat earth. It's unbelievable. Oh, it's crazy. They've taken over the place. It's about 50-50. It's a lot of fighting. That's what I don't like about flat earth. You know what came with a lot of flat, flat with flat earth that there's not a lot of in America? Fighting. Yep, and that's probably why we avoided it for years. Sticks out. Now on Seth Breedlove, I'm with you on not shooting Bigfoot. That's like murder in my opinion. Anytime I've heard someone blasting one with a shotgun, it never kills it anyway. Exactly. They just shake exactly. it off or morph out of sight or something of that sort. <laughs> I remember Mysterious Universe, some Russian guy once allegedly pulled a Bigfoot out of the river in a storm and possibly saved its life. A lot of good Bigfoot accounts given by MU over the years. Yeah. I actually emailed Grundy today. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think that's good, eh? Yeah. Okay, what do you got? Can I play a jingle? Well, do you remember, uh, play the trip report jingle. All right. But it's not really a trip report. It's an analysis of the compound after the fact here. Oh, I like that. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we had another trip report jingle. Don't we have two? Don't we have? Hmm. I don't see it here. So do you remember, oh, do you remember um, not too long ago, I, uh, I read Mark's uh, email of where he took a, it was a LSD analog called DOI and he spent like a whole week of his life living semi-conscious on the, fl- on the couch for around three hours. No. And he was, he was talking about how, uh, he could actually see, uh, see ores around everything, electric lights, and the, it, like you could see, what was it again? You could see things uh, faster, like different uh, different speeds and stuff than normal and different quality. It is what you were confirming that you, you do when, you, when you're in a psychedelic state where you can see 
things happening at a different rate. Mm-hmm. So then he says, he just sent a follow-up email. He says, after emailing you, I went back to reread that Wikipedia article about DOI and noticed some interesting things, particularly this. Now I'm sort of stuck on, um, because <clears throat> he took a potent one as well. Hmm. Oh, heightened senses is really what he, what he says. Interesting. Yeah. The most interesting phenomena, however, was incredibly heightened senses. And you kind of confirmed that. I yeah, mean, I've, I've noticed you know, that from time to time. So DI, DOI Allegedly. has also been shown to induce rapid growth and reorganization of dendritic spines and synaptic connections with other neurons. So that's a process known to underlie neuroplasticity. What's DOI? That's the compound, the analog compound of LSD. Um, I don't want to try and pronounce it again. It's uh, <laughs> di- dimethoxy-4-iodamphetamine, something like that. That's, so that's the synthetic. It's still synthetic, though. Is there a natural version? Where is L- isn't, I thought there's a natural version of LSD. Anyway. This makes sense to me as before I took it, I was struggling at school, had non-existent social skills, which I later found out was linked to an undiagnosed autism. After I started experimenting with DOI, it really helped me in those areas. And I attribute my experience with drugs like DOI and MDMA as turning my more severe autism earlier in life into mild Asperger's I have today. And now I'm studying archaeology and environmental science at uni with high grades, inspired by JRE podcast with Randall and Graham. As for my female friends seeing auras, I was involved in my local rave scene for a while, and I made friends with a woman who claimed she sees auras full time, even while sober, and both descriptions of auras were very much the same. Here's a link to the news story about the drug back when I was taking them. So there's a news story about how... How uh, there's a drug warming in Adelaide about this uh, super LSD they're calling calling it. It's true that the effects of the trip were extensive. There was a common joke among the people I knew who took them. Stop the bus. I want to get off. Visual, auditory effects, and muscular effects continued full of, for a full day or two. And it, it was, was hard to juice. and it was hard to sleep while under the influence of these effects. Muscles and legs were the worst part. It led to cramps sometimes. My experiences with DOI, especially the superhuman hearing abilities, have profoundly opened my mind to what's possible and to the notion that there are things that science can't or won't explain. Bum, bum, bum. Like placebo. There you go. There you have it. Yeah, interesting. I wonder what they've been experimenting. You know, remember they were doing all those LSD experiments on people, right? I wonder how many analog types and types of stuff they were doing to try and create super soldiers and all that. Think? Yeah. Are you a super soldier? Not even close. (laughs) Are you like an early generation one? Are you like a mediocre soldier? No. No? You're a super lover? (laughs) I've got a smile out of them. What else you got? Synchronicity? No, I got a uh, support email. Ooh, I like support. Greetings, guys. I'm in the 99-plus percentile of your loyal listeners who regularly plug you into your humbly presented top-shelf podcast broadcast. That's not a support email. That's an (laughs) I don't support email. Furthermore, it is formed into a habit. I am fairly, unfortunately, tribal when it comes to my listening loyalties. About six, I always listen to but never support. I can easily justify it. 
My financial situation is hand-to-mouth. However, Devil's Advocate always delighted in sharing his pesty perspectives on everything I take the time to take a stand on. Being poor in America? It's not as much fun as having money to burn in America, but as a piss-poor American without financial support obligations over another, nor obligated to medical financial obligations, I cannot take a bird's-eye view of my financial spreadsheet for the month and continue to stand by my too-poor-to-support stand. Like most piss-poor Americans, at least two or three days, minimum, depends on the time of year, I am a two-cent millionaire. I have some, some mad money. If I don't allot a budgeted amount to waste, I'll waste all of it, and I don't even know why. I know you get plenty of excuses. I'm not sure what you're going to do with another one, lest it were coupled with a useful suggestion. I hope that you get that email from someone today. Enough said, Ryan Johnson. P.S. Question. Have you ever ruled out running a money bomb for some reason? Part of me that continues to justify his lack of support on above listed excuses would love to see one directed at the 99.99-plus percentile who have never supported any financial manner. My top excuse that tips me into remaining with the popular crowd is, what the hell would another dollar do anyhow? Anywho. I can justify not subscribing on the more useful monthly pledge, but cannot opt out of an upcoming money bomb of such nature announced in advance with at least two weeks warning. That's interesting about the warning. We should keep that in mind for any things. I'll actually, I'll actually start giving away money. I'd actually (laughs) get off my broke, lazy podcast directed ass and rise to the challenge of seeing what my dollar could do in such an environment. Sorry, such a long email. I know you don't get excited about those. Love you both like family. Love not being able to choose a favorite between you two. Love your show 95% of the time. Hope you money bomb in the new year. Peace out. 32nd level dungeon master. It'll be Team Graham in a minute. So he'd be willing to support the show if we gave some of it to someone else? He's willing to... You want the money bomb, the 50-50 money bomb. We can't start doing that. We're in no position to be giving away money. Sorry. What do you mean? Well, the money bomb is not, you don't give away money. You give give away half. (laughs) We give away half, we were out on our ass. Well, are we rolling out the cabin? The cabin ticket? Oh, yeah. We should do that. So we do have a way for... I thought that was like rolling into... I thought you were... You really... We had like the perfect segue into CAC, and then you jumped in with this email, which was like the perfect segue segue into the support. You've like... You've ruined two perfectly good segues. It's a double segue. (laughs) Since it's a support and the CAC. So for Ryan, who doesn't want to donate without some possibility of something in return... If he subscribes within the next month and he wants to, he can be... Oh, that's right. He can get signed up for CAC. (laughs) Graham's CAC. (laughs) Um, Randall's CAC. Sorry. Grammarica's CAC, really. Um, Our our event in May. It's been a long night. Yeah. We're just getting started. Oops. (laughs) May 17th to May 27th. In Pagosa Springs, Colorado, we're running three events. The first weekend sold out with a waiting list. No, the last weekend. The last weekend sold out with a waiting list, the 23rd to the 27th. 
There is still space left in both the 17th to the 20th and the 20th to the 23rd slots. Uh, that'll include a live podcast. Brown's going to do some C-setting, weather dependent. CE5. CE5. We're going to have a Wim Hof guy coming out to the first weekend. and One of the, his top trainers. One of his top trainers. He's going to teach us some Wim Hof exercises. We can do that. There'll be an option in the morning for people who want to partake. Um, and then, of course, we'll have one day where we do some some presentation and some Q&A with Randall. We'll do some fireside stuff, some percussion stuff, some chatting by the fire, um, all that fun stuff. And we're going to go out on a couple tours. Well, each each group will get one tour, so we'll go to Tour Mesa Verde, someplace like that. We'll provide you with breakfast and lunch while you're there. You're on your own for dinner. We'll provide you with breakfast, lunch, transportation. Um, so check out, I mean, it's all there at badcomet.com. You really do got to go check it out. I know Randall is going on Conspiracy Farm on Monday. Uh, I actually just got a text from Greg Carlwood. He's even going to be going on. Um, he's going to be going on THC in the next couple of weeks. So the last thirty or so spots that are left are about to be blown wide open. I mean, that's another hundred thousand people or more right there that are about to get the memo. There's probably some crossover and all that, but it's definitely um, going out to the next level with shows like that. So. You're going to want to check it out, badcomet.com. We'll probably, uh, that's a good question, Ian. We were thinking, of, we're humming and hawing about what sort of digital presence we're going to. I mean, we're going to be doing some live shows from there. We'll live stream whenever we can, and we might end up with some sort of digital something or other. We're still humming and hawing about how that's going to work. If we can do something like that, we will. It's just tough to commit to. We're not sure what it'll look like or how it's going to go. What we can tell you is if you sign up, to support the show or your supporter of the show at any level. Um, if you're a previous supporter, you're already a supporter and you want to be entered. We can't, we don't want to just draw names for everybody because people might not be able to fly. They might be able to get time off. There's people all over the world. We don't know who's where. So if you're a supporter of the show, uh, email Adam, your email address, Adam at And he's keeping a tally. So anyone who signs up, a current supporter or anyone who signs up for the show between now and April 20th will be entered in the draw and then Randall's going to come on the show with us and we're going to pick one of those supporters. Uh, we'll figure out something. We're going to do a draw out of all the names of all the people who want to do it. And one of our supporters, I mean, you're going to have to get yourself there still, but we'll give you a free ticket. We'll give you a free bed. Not even a tent. It's a bed. It'll be a bunk bed. Oh, yeah. A okay. Bed it's in the a bunk, bunk bed? Okay, yeah. cool. So... We're going to do that for so one how, of our how do, they, how do they let us know? Email adam at com. Did we talk? Did, we, did you say that already? Yeah. So if you're a current supporter or you sign up tomorrow or sign up whenever at grandamerica.ca slash support, sign up for a monthly, you get access to the black budget, all that stuff. You get a clean conscience. You feel good about yourself. The world probably seem like a better place. And now you, if you want and you're keen on going on the trip, but you can't afford it and you can get yourself there. Or if you're Colorado. Ryan and you want to maybe raffle, you want to scalp the ticket later. Like, yeah. Ryan, sign up now. This is the time. Who's Ryan? Ryan the, the email I just read. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 This is scalp. the time. This is the time. Sign up. You win the draw. Scalp it. You got Donate a number, the then you wait till the last minute and it's and everybody's trying to get grand. to this event. Yeah. And you can sell for like five or ten grand. Yeah. There you go. There's the plan. There's too many Ryans already anyway. Um, 
No, it's worth it. So that's just how we're going to help out. Uh, you know, we like to give back to our supporters. And that's so if one of you can't afford to get there, maybe you can afford to get yourself there. But you can't afford that plus the ticket. So email Adam com. You'll be on that list. Um, above, you can only be on that list once, of course. Above and beyond that, we're going to raffle off a 10th spot for the 20th to the 23rd slot. Oh, are we? We're going to do that too? Should we yeah. wait? No, no, it's if okay. Gonna, if we're going to do it, we got to do it now. But so you yeah, know, we're, we're going to we'll raffle do, up Yeah, we'll do then? 30 tickets. That, no, one's not a raffle. One's just a giveaway. Okay. This is a raffle. This is a raffle. So this is like the 50-50 that Mike wanted, or Ryan wanted. It, well, it's like 20 bucks a spot, 30 tickets. For, 20 bucks a spot, 30 tickets? Yeah. Is there only 30 tickets? Or yeah, why, why do we, then we don't limit it, a raffle. You'd well, if we do that, we'll go to another one. I don't. I'm, it's not a making money thing. So well, we'll we go up to the value the of the ticket. This could help our no, we'll go up to the value of the ticket and we'll go on to another one. What's the point of that? Well, then we're just selling tickets and giving people a chance to go for 20 bucks instead of 500. Oh, that sounds like a lot of work for no extra money for us. See, isn't that, this is where the greed comes out. I don't see it. You're always like fighting me on trying to get money out of people. And I'm like, hey, man, he's a racket. Well, when it's we'll a raffle, the, the ceiling's supposed to be like, no. not, there's is no it? ceiling. Well, it's, I think there's a word for a, for we're like a, see, this is, see how it's great. a raffle, a, not a racket? This is a great <laughs> raffle. This is like next level <laughs> raffle. It's a limited seating yeah, raffle. Exactly VIP like, raffle. It doesn't go over the price of a ticket. <laughs> well, it goes over by a hundred bucks, enough to cover the transaction fees and stuff. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're not losing money. Okay, okay, we're not losing money. Yeah. On. Okay, yeah, I don't want to lose money on that deal. <laughs> we lose enough money. Now this guy wants us to give half of it away. It's his PayPal. We'll just send it over. So does that guy that that, that gives we us 20 you, bucks, and he's never donated to the show before, he gives us 20 bucks. Does he get entered in that other one automatically too? I guess no. so, right? Well, no, he's a new supporter. Not if he's buying a ticket for the raffle. Buying that from Adam. He's buying that from Adam. It's set up separately. Okay. Don't send us the 20 bucks. Email Adam. I, we can't just run it through our PayPal. So we got to set it up. Oh, okay. It's going that way. Yeah. Okay. We got to set it up. We can't just, don't just send us 20 bucks. You don't send one, don't send anyone any money yet. Just email Adam and say well, what no, you No, you got to subscribe to the show. Oh, if, you if you're going to support thing, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for the raffle. Don't yeah, send money for the, the raffle, raffle yet. Yeah. Email Adam and say if you want to do the raffle. Yeah. We haven't figured out which PayPal account we're going to send it to yet. I don't want to start mixing stuff up. Yeah. Especially if we have to give this guy. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be giving him CAC money. Sorry, Ryan. Just teasing. Anyway, what else you got? Uh, that's about it. Wrapping it up. Yeah. We got the cat covered. Yeah. We got the support. We got the bagging for support covered. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I think, I that's, think that's it. Let's enjoy this awesome conversation with Danny and Joseph. Yeah, it's a fun one. Enjoy.
All right, we got a real fun one for you guys tonight. You might have heard uh, Denny Unger was on a few years back, but Denny Unger's back with his friend Joseph Matheny. And Denny Unger, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about his uh, his conspiracy website, Dark Planet, from the early 90s. And Denny also is CEO and creative director of Cloudhead Games. They develop virtual reality games. And Joseph Matheny, we'll, we'll let him talk a little bit more about himself, but he's basically an internet litter bug as well from the iron, ironic school of conspiracy. And he, uh, yeah, we're going to get into all kinds of sort of deep conspiracy stuff from the 90s. And he's also got a website there as well we'll talk about. And so, uh, well, yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. Really appreciate you guys uh, making the time to come with us today. Yeah, thanks for having us, thanks for having us on. Good to see you again, Denny. Thanks. My connection is weird, so I'll try, <laughs> I'll try to phase in and phase out as appropriate. So, I mean, there's so much to get into here. There's like the, you know, you got get digging into digging into your stuff about this Ong's hat conspiracy and what you guys got into. I mean, Danny, you kind of got into it a little later, I believe, than Joseph, but Joseph was kind of at the genesis of this whole thing. And it's it's pretty confusing for me to try and follow like what's what's true <laughs> and what's not. And now we're in this age where conspiracy is a bad word and uh there's a whole bunch of conspiracies that we know are true that used to you know 10 15 years ago you would have thought we were crazy and that's even coming from uh you know more focus on on these places that remind me of ong's hat like the east city ranch or um the skinwalker ranch you know <laughs> these these places that kind of now they're like almost like contemporary versions of that so i, I kind of want to leave the leave this up to you guys of where where you want to go um, but maybe we should probably maybe just get Joseph to do a quick little <clears throat> uh, background on yourself and how you guys kind of connected, and then we can go from there. Does that sound good? Hello? Does that sound good? Yeah. Um, I'm getting a lot of audio dropouts, so I'm, if, I, if I don't hit my cues, uh, just kind of wave both arms at me or okay. something. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, basically, I'm, I'm a technologist. I'm, I'm an old man. Um, I go all the way back to the early 90s, um, uh, even the late 80s, actually, where I was running bulletin board systems. Um, worked in Silicon Valley during the first dot-com ramp-up and explosion, um, and then kind of worked my way still there during the Web 2.0 era, if you remember that ancient thing. Um, now I'm kind of semi-retired, and I just do game development uh, on contract. Um, and that's... Uh, yeah, that's kind of my background. So the, um, I guess the Ong's hat thing was, uh, uh, I was talking to Denny earlier about this. A lot of people ask me like what it is, and that's a hard question to answer because basically what it was is it was a Swiss army knife that grew out of um, a bunch of different things I was interested in in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I kind of just stuck them all together to see if this new thing could come out of it, which was at the time, um, internet access was brand new to, to the public. And I was seeing the first uh, iterations of the web. And I was thinking that this would be an awesome storytelling platform. But more importantly, because so many people could be involved in real time, this could also be an experiment in synchronicity induction. Um, could we come together and create something or kind of create something if we were all thinking about it and believing in it hard enough? Um, and so from that grew a 10-year experiment of, of um, seeding these documents, uh, doing interviews, um, doing a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff, um, publishing magazine articles, uh, putting together some of the very uh, early 
primitive uh, artificial intelligence and bots um, and just kind of making this machine, I called it the meta machine, um, that kind of ran this storyline. Um, and, you know, I think was successful in a lot of ways, not so successful in other ways, but that's because I think it was new. Um, and, uh, it, and it utilized very heavily uh, tropes from conspiracy theory, um, which at the time, Danny, I were talking about this again earlier, <clears throat> came out of the left for me. Um, it's really not now, but back then it was like part of the, the whole uh, being a leftist back then was like you Counter- also counterculture kind of counterculture. Kennedy assassination, conspiracy theory, yeah, yeah. Um, UFOs, all this stuff, you know, and, and there was a, a church of the subgenius, the scordianism. There was all this stuff kind of blended into the culture, mm-hmm. at least the counterculture. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of like pushed it all together into this storyline and then utilized this new free, essentially publishing platform called the internet that I could reach more people than I could if I was publishing a print scene. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of went with that and, and built in elements of gamification into it so that it would actually play like an infinite game and not a finite game where in theory, the gameplay on this could go on and go on forever. And the fact that there was just an article a couple of days ago on Gizmodo tells you that it's still going, even though I, I've long since called it quits. It just kind of kept going on its own. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I didn't mention in the intro is the alternative reality game part of it, you know, this uh, gamification. And now it's got me thinking about all kinds of, you know, what it, what are all, the, all these other conspiracies? I mean, part of our, our Black Budget feed, I'm reading this paper on conspiracies from uh, Harvard, from Cass Sunstein, and he's writing about how the government is supposed to deal with these conspiracies and whether they should, you know, induct themselves into it and spread disinformation or should they ignore it or should they try and, and, and fight against it. And I mean, the ones they, they mention are, are real, real conspiracies. I mean, they're not even argued about it. We're talking about, you know, nine 11 and some other, uh, some other bad examples of now that we're reading the paper, like 10 or 11 years later about conspiracies. So now it's got me thinking of, um, you know, especially hearing all of your stuff there, but were you thinking, were you originally thinking about in synchronicity induction at the start of this? Yeah, I was, um, <clears throat> I, I had observed that if you if you had a group of people that were all focused together on some sort of immersive reality, um, I'd seen this time and time again because um, I was also involved in uh, LARPing and I was involved in ritual magic and a lot of different things where I was, and early conspiracy theory in the 80s, watching people get just get really deep into something and then synchronicities about that something started appearing. And at first I was like, well, of course, the, you know, it, it, it's observer effect. They're going to think they're seeing things. But then I started actually experiencing it with some of these people. And I'm like, okay, there's something here, but I don't know what it is. Um, and it's that the, the universe is somehow being responsive. And can I do something to kind of invite that to happen? And can we use game theory to do that? Um, and, you know, I went back to the history of games, which actually, you know, had a very sacred origin. Um, and then turned into theater and then turned into games. Um, but games haven't always been what we call games in the sense that they weren't pointless recreation or even just recreation. Um, games had a very deep symbolic meaning. Um, and there was, there was almost a, a ritual aspect to them at one point. Um, and I think we've kind of lost that to a little bit. I mean, it's always going to be there whether we like it to be or not, but we've lost kind of the, the knowledge of that. And so um, I was trying to get back to some of that, where if we're all acting these roles 
and and now in in alternate reality gaming that's called the TNAG principle this is not a game where even though you you all know you're playing a game you don't talk about the fact that you're playing a game because you're doing suspension of disbelief <laughs> which you know is is a magical principle in a lot of ways so if you've ever done ritual magic you know that there's this thing called telesmata where you are projecting the essence of something you see it in your mind you have all these aspects of it attached to it conceptually and that's what makes it come to life and i've experienced these things yeah um so i was trying to drag that over into the gaming world and then drag that all online um mm -hmm. and like i said you know there were successes and failures but um to the large to a large part i think there was a lot of success because without me telling people that was one of the aspects of the game that i was trying to reach people started reporting to me that that was one of the aspects of the game that they were experiencing. Yeah. And from, from my perspective, um, being a conspiracy nut at that time that and I was a, running and a game planet, developer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but at the time I, I, I was taking this stuff kind of at face value while at least kind of entering into it with that agreement. So the Inca Nebula and Ong's hat were a real thing. And I was trying to kind of dig down into it and figure out, you, you know, what was real and what wasn't about the story and, and so many other people were at that time. One thing that it, it's hard, I mean, cause it's been, you know, 20 plus years since this whole thing happened. Um, this was qu quite a big deal when it first kind of came to light, the whole Incunebula thing. Um, and, and what made it so slippery was that it merged um, a lot of facts and a lot of real events with a lot of stuff that wasn't real. And unraveling that from my side was um, a really interesting journey because um, you're trying to dig down to the bottom of it. And every time you would find some, you know, some piece of it that was not true, or you could tell that it was a piece of fiction, um, it was always countered, count, sort of counterbalanced with a piece of fact. Um, and, but that was by design, which was really interesting and, and kind of coming to terms with what the material was, was part of the journey. And in doing that, that also kind of drove a lot of um, kind of co-creation and um, synchronicity stuff in the mix of like discovering what it was and what it meant, um, which is really interesting. We, we Joseph and I have talked a lot about this, about what kind of co-creation means and how that can drive synchronicity and sort of the malleability of reality. Once, we, So, you know, the point of the Incunebula was really... Sorry, I shouldn't speak for Joseph, but, but for me, looking at it from the outside, it was like, you know, how do we create a narrative that feels real? And then how, how much of that shared belief is going to make this thing real? And that was where it kind of got spooky. And that, that's where it got, got really interesting for me. Yeah, it reminds me of like Tulpas and the Slender Man and the, uh, and the people. Yeah, Tulpas you know, definitely, that, that definitely was, that was, that was some inspiration there. Yeah. yeah. Can I make like a little tulpa helper? So he's just like, we could use like a little tulpa, you don't uh, tulpa cat. That, you don't want to get in that you type a of tulpa magic. Cat? You, you don't want to get in. That's pretty serious. Really? Deep magic. Yeah. You don't want to be summoning stuff. No. You can help me. Right, Joseph? We don't want to be getting into that. Yeah. Tulpas uh, are extraordinarily eccentric and sometimes get mean. Yeah. Um, They're hard to control. Yeah. The, the deeper they, they be, the more they become real, the harder they are to control. And, and, you know, you can't get rid of them. It's really hard to get rid of them. <laughs> See, so, so the reports say. I've never actually experienced. No, I was going to say, do you have actually, any tulpas running around? Well, you can't get rid of Ong's hat. It's story. still around. So, well, now I have another story. If you don't mind me, like veering off a little bit. Sure. Um, like around the, one of the one of the things that happened to me that made me embark on this experiment was in the uh, 
1985, I want to say, maybe 84, I was still living in Chicago at the time. And um, Robert Anton Wilson, who I eventually became friends with, um, had, was giving a lecture. And I, I met him after the lecture. And we talked for a long time out front. He bumped some cigarettes off of me. He was still secretly smoking. Arlen didn't know. But um, he was bumming cigarettes off me. And we talked about all kinds of stuff. And he found out that I was interested in programming. He got really interested in talking to me. And um, he actually said, have you read Valis by Philip K. Dick yet? And at the time, Mm -hmm. 1984, that book was out of print. Um, It did come back strong when when Phil got popular as he is now. But like for a long time, you you couldn't find it. So I went on this journey to find Valis. And I was going use bookstore to use bookstore. I was working my way through the phone book, if you remember those things. And eventually I found this used bookstore that looked like it was closed. I knocked on the door and somebody answered. It was a little old lady, really nice, very short, blonde, uh, white hair, very piercing blue eyes. And I told her what I was looking for. And she said, matter of fact, I have two copies of that. <laughs> Great. So she goes, we go through these musty books, boxes of books, no bookshelves, just boxes of books. And the, the, the windows are, are newspapered over. And it's like, this place has been closed, you know, but she's there. And we go through the books and she finds these two copies and she asked me which one I want. There's a hard copy and a paperback. And I chose the paperback. And then she goes, you know, there's three parts to this. And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. She goes, well, I have part two as well. And she gets Divine Invasion. And she holds up two copies. And there's a hardback and a paperback. And I chose the hardback. And she's holding this paperback. She goes, are you sure? Like, yeah. So I took the hardback. Well, later, I had a change of heart and decided I should have taken both. So I went back to get the paperback because I knew there was something special about that paperback. And she didn't answer the door. And I kept knocking. And this was like a couple of days later. And uh, I look up and the, the, the house, it's, in a, it's the first story of a house. There's like a shop and then two stories up, which are living spaces. And there's a guy leaning over the rail and he goes, can I help you? Like this yuppie dude. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I was looking for the lady who runs the bookshop and he got a weird look on his face. And he's like, that bookstore hasn't been open for years, man. I don't know what you're playing at, but get the F out of here. And so I tried to talk to him and he got really angry and went in and slammed the door. So I left. And I was, I'd never found the bookstore open again after that. So I puzzled on that for years. And I described the cover of this paperback to lots of people that knew Philip K. Dick. They told me that book never existed. Well, in 1996 or seven, when the internet became searchable, um, I found the cover of that book. It's a very rare paperback, but it did exist. So that's my story. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who she was. Maybe she was a random person that was like camping out in there. I, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of rational explanations for this, yeah. but you know, on, on the face of it, that was a magical experience. Yeah, but just for somebody to know in a bookstore full of books like that, that Vallis is there, that's pretty extraordinary. I mean, she yeah. had to know that stock. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, the books were just piled up in boxes. There was no shelving system at all. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, take that at face value, but that, that was an experience that, that literally put me on, on this trail of, like, can that happen again? What happened there? And can, can I, can I, is there anything that we can do to make stuff like that happen more often? Because that really touched me. That was a magical experience. And that made the reading of that book for me 
uh, a magical experience in itself like yeah. because that book had become special yeah it was, yeah. It, was a, it was a you know it was an icon it was a totem of some sort yeah that's a great book so yeah, that it was so yeah that's like more of the same sort that of that book synchronicities with a lot of guests yeah yeah well, well, not only to, that and like the manifestation of of things you yeah. know it's just semi-surreal sometimes so I think well, we that, should... it, it kind of gets into the, sorry, go ahead. No, go, you, no finish off. Go. I was just going to say, I mean, it kind of gets into the, the many worlds theory and, and again, kind of the, the creation of realities based on your perception of reality. And like, what's so interesting about Ong's hat and Nebula, or what, what was interesting to me was that Joseph kind of in, infused all of the material with that stuff. And, and coming at it from like conspiracy paranormal dude head space was like, okay, maybe this is real. Maybe there was some scientist at Princeton that did this thing. And then they went to this hippie cult yeah. in the, in the pine barrens. And they really did do these experiments with how to travel to alternate realities. And I'm sorry, we're like, people have to get into this to really understand what it was, but that well, was where I, yeah, Sorry, and you should maybe describe that because it's not going to sound so crazy. <laughs> it's not going to sound so crazy now either, really, with all the stuff that's been going on. So, like, why don't you uh, describe the Ong's hat and then the Incanabula part of it, so so people can get a little bit of background on that too. Well, the Incanabula was a was a book catalog that was made up of a lot of real books and some not as real yet books. Although some of those manifested over time, oddly enough. Um, and that's and that was part of the experiment is, you know, can we can we make some of these things happen by having a lot of people focusing on this? Um, it was a book catalog. Short story, uh, basically, that was disguised as a book catalog where each of the each of the story points was a book and the book descriptions were were the uh, the chapters, basically. And uh, that moves you through this story about this Ong's Hat ashram, which was made up equal part of mystics and scientists from Princeton. Who were seeking a, a method to uh, penetrate into parallel dimensions, and discovered that through the mixture of mysticism, drugs, sex, and science, they were able to do that. Um, and then Ong's Hat, which is uh, where this supposedly happened, was also the second part, which was one of those fictitious catalogs that was actually created and then circulated as well. Um, I've heard from different people that it shows up at. That uh, there's a there was, there was a restaurant in Ong Sat for a while and it used to show up there all the time. People were copying this and and putting it into like the tourist racks. Um, the Lebanon State Forest Ranger Station, which is right there by Ong Sat, um, said that they were constantly finding the copies of that of that brochure um, in their in their in the racks for their material. You know, like uh, what's around here in the maps and all that kind of stuff. I don't know who was doing that. It wasn't me. Um, and that's the great. The other great thing about this is it was a grassroots movement and it kind of got picked up as a legend. And um, to this day, Darren and I were talking, there are groups of teenagers that make pilgrimages out there, um, you know, and it's called legend tripping and they go out looking for the ashram <laughs> and nobody ever finds anything, but they find things that might have been the ashram. And, it, and if you watch the videos, it, it's on YouTube, it's, it's, it's kind of endearing and it reminds me of the stuff that we used to do when we were kids, where we would go out to this one place where, if you put your car in neutral and put baby powder on your bumper, you know, your car will roll and then you'll see little handprints on the powder. You know, everybody has stories like that. There, there's always a local legend and, and it was always a great thing to do as teenagers, you know, to go out. And of course, you're probably also going to be drinking beer and smoking pot and having sex with 
things like that. But, you know, there was a premise for why you were going to the woods, at least. Um, and it was always something spooky because teenagers love spooky. I mean, everybody knows that. I, I, I did. Didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Joseph, yeah, talk yeah. about about the means of travel because that that was always an interesting part of the whole mythos to me was the the travel egg and how the technology is centered around how you would travel to an alternate parallel earth well i mean in in a nutshell basically it was a combination of technology and and uh, mysticism so uh you basically the best way to do it would be uh with two people in the device so you were having tantric sex while you were probably high on drugs uh, while you were focusing very intently on screens that were showing fractals with, you know, uh, you've been through a period of time where you were pre-programmed to think about this parallel dimension that you were aiming for. And you might not hit that one, but you'd hit one close you know, and those kind of things. And then you could come back, supposedly, if you knew how to do it. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was in an age of right at the cusp of where quantum physics was talking enough uh, language that sounded like mysticism that um, some of the diehard scientism people were starting to say, well, you know, maybe there's something, there is something to holism. Maybe there is something to uh, thinking outside the box. Maybe everything's not just material and, and Cartesian and, and finite. Um, and, and we started thinking about um, entanglement and uh, spooky things at a distance and like all this language that started coming into physics um, that sounded like they were coming out of the mouths of a guru sitting in an ashram somewhere. Yeah. Was that, was that the pair, was the pair labs, uh, in Princeton, a thing back then? Yeah. 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 Yep. In fact, uh, the guy who ran that Roger Nelson, um, he called those devices that he was using to, to, uh, gather information in egg EGG. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And one of those on the network was actually called Ong's hat. Um, which I got a big kick out of when I found out. Cause, um, I, I became acquainted with Roger through, Ralph Abraham, the chaos mathematician who I knew in Santa Cruz. And then Ralph, of course, knew, knew Roger and, and put us in touch. And I thought, he said, you know, I, there's one called Ong's Hat on the network. I'm like, what? And then when I got one of, I ran one of the eggs for a while um, on one of my computers and I could see the network and I saw it. And I thought that was great. I thought that was awesome. Somebody had a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. So D Danny, do you want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> that? And when you first, uh, encountered that and then you, how you started up dark planet and all that i mean dark planet was always a just a generalist conspiracy <clears throat> site lots of ufo stuff I've, I've always been obsessed with ufo stuff but um i don't actually remember oh, sorry i there was a website a really weird website that um it was kind of like an art project website that um kind of presented you with a, a puzzle that you kind of click through and you, you you'd kind of go several level, levels deeper and explore this weird website with fractals and weird poetry and chaos science and a bunch of weird bullshit. And in fact, Matthew, Joseph, I never even talked to you about that original website um, or whether you had any affiliation with it, but I assume not because it was, it was really strange. And it, like, it took me a, a week to get through this website. Um, and it was all about um, exploring these weird, fractals that you'd have to click through hmm. um and they would lead you to different paths of information there'd be like a, a weird little sonnet or poem about you know the nature of reality or you know our how, how multi-layered it was and it took me about a week to get through this weird kind of art installation website and that actually led me to my first link about the Nebula and ong's hat 
um, somebody had put a lot of effort and energy into this thing, whatever it was. And obviously not many people were going to get through it because you have to be pretty tenacious to go through that weird experience. Anyways, that led me to Onksat and, and the Incunabula. And, and from that kind of early period forward, it felt a lot like the Incunabula and Onksat material were focused on... It was a lot like a cult, um, but in, in a really contradictory way, it was a cult that wanted people who could actually think and had their own mind <laughs> and uh, you know were intelligent enough to kind of discern what's real and what isn't. That was actually kind of at the core of it. Um, and, and going through the material, it, it kind of presented you with these challenges. Like, uh, I'm going to tell you a piece of information and your job is to find out whether this is true or false. And it would kind of keep leading you through this rabbit hole. And I got infatuated with it and really interested in it and trying to figure out, you know, were, were the, the twins at Princeton really doing this research and were, were all these things real? And because of that, I started a forum on the Dark Planet website. A bunch of people got involved in, in a really early iteration of, of that website. There was a pretty active and healthy group of people researching Ong's hat, um, <laughs> coming down pretty hard on Joseph with stuff that they had found or didn't find. Um, and we were all just trying to get to the bottom of this thing. Like, what is this weird thing talking about parallel dimensions and, and quantum Tantra egg travel to parallel earths? And, you know, what does it all mean? And what is it all, you know, what's the justification for it existing? And I, I think it was a pretty common experience for everybody that went through that journey. And this is what made it so weird um, to have these deep and profound um, synchronicities and the more you looked into it, the more these synchronicities tended to happen. And a lot of them were a little bit inconsequential. Like, like you know, it, it, would, it would be something that, you know, maybe somebody wouldn't even notice in, if they were just kind of in their normal um, psychological state. But because you're looking into this material, you just start picking them out. Uh, you guys are pretty familiar with this, I know, because you talk about synchros all the time on Gramerica. Yeah. And, and, and once you're tuned into synchronicity, you find many, many more and they, and they kind of cascade and they, they build upon themselves. And this material did that in a really profound way for a lot of people. And so when I coming back this many years later and then talking to Joseph about it, that's what I keep trying to drill down into is why that happened. Because what he did with, with kind of co-creating this material um, was find a means to um, bring this stuff to the surface and, and, and try to pick it apart. Why are we starting to create synchronicity? Why are, you know, why all of a sudden with some of this fictional material is the fiction becoming real in some really weird ways? Why is that happening? That's, that's what fascinates me. It still fascinates me because I don't think we've really discussed it. Because it's you, all a simulation. <laughs> that's why. And when you do this kind of yeah. stuff, you're tapping into it or something like that, or why? Yeah, no, I, I haven't figured out exactly how it works yet because I'm not a scientist or anything <laughs> like that. I'm just a podcaster. But uh, it would seem to be, you know, I don't know. Some it seems more and more like when you see things like the Fibonacci sequence and sacred geometry and. Uh, the fractal stuff it's just gets pretty hard to i you know sometimes i think it's like maybe all the cells in the body or 
or all the atoms or all the molecules. Like, I wonder if they like need some sort of meaningful existence to keep doing what they got to <laughs> do to keep me going every day. You know, I wonder if like the cells in my hand are going to work in the morning and just fucking grinding it out just to <laughs> just, you know, maybe the world works like that fractally. And like, we're just, you know, inside some cells of some bigger organism or yeah. maybe, maybe it's like the, the hive thing or, or maybe it's just like a simulation and that's straight up. You can, because uh, I mean, it seems like you say you can start to affect this and you can start to move it around and affect it. And I don't know. Well, it reminds me of the Hellier. I don't know if you guys have heard of that Hellier documentary that just came out. It's like four or five parts of uh, the uh, these paranormal investigators investigating the Kentucky Goblins. And <clears throat> it's a really good series. Each one's about an hour long. And it's, it's not like your normal sort of ghost hunting show or whatever, but it's all about the synchronicities that start happening along this journey of trying to hunt down um, these stories of the Kentucky goblins and finding them and all that. And it's just, it's just like what you guys are talking about. All kinds of crazy stuff starts well, happening. You know, what one got me going is like the speed of light in meters per second is the exact, if you could take that nine numbers, it's the exact same number as the latitude of the, of the pyramid of Egypt. If you take <laughs> that down to the decimal points and it's like, that's fucking crazy. And is that, you know, is that the Illuminati or, you know, they built, well, there was no fucking latitude when they built those pyramids. I don't care if it was 5,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago, or did we just line our thing up to that somehow? Or is it just like this thing's going to come up with a number for you? So here's the number. And it's like, oh shit, I already used that number. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of gets into that. When you cut into shit, it doesn't exist until you do it. Like the inside of the tree or mm -hmm. doesn't exist until I cut into the tree because it doesn't want to waste the memory. And it's sort of the same thing. It's like, hey, I need a number. Who the fuck is ever going to notice <laughs> if I grab the number from here and throw it here? And we're just at this level where we got these freaks that are just grinding it out on YouTube and Google Earth and finding these crazy <laughs> things. And the AI is just like, oh, fuck. <clears throat> you know, we're going to break the simulation. I, You know, sometimes it yeah. seems... It seems too much. I was actually having the conversation with my wife last week and I was just like, I was watching one of those documentaries by, I think it's Scott Onstott and, Onstott, and we're going to have him on the show here in a, in a couple of weeks. And it was just like, he goes through these crazy number coincidences and it's just, it's, I don't know, man. I was like, uh, it makes me think it's all just, it's all, I don't know if that implies more divine creation or simulation or what, but something is going on there. I don't know. I don't think it's that the pyramid was built there on purpose. I don't. I don't think that's a possibility. It just seems it's, it's higher than that. It's or high deeper, level, it's deeper high, than that. high, high level synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. You got any thoughts on that, Joseph? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, I come from a perspective that I'm, I'm very, very deeply union in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think that everything that we know, everything that can be known is actually known by us already on some level. Um, since there is no separation between what's called me and the universe, there is uh, a word and a concept that I use called me uh, that helps me in the navigation of space and time. Um, but sometimes I forget that it's, that it's a construct, and we all do. Um, my hand implies that it's separate from me, but it's not. It's part of me. 
Um, you can say the same thing about the universe. I'm not in the universe. I am the universe mm. as much as you are the universe. And so the idea that somebody could come up with something that is a universal constant is not mind-bending, really. When you think about it, it it's almost uh, inevitable because it's it's not so much that we that we as humans have to uh, come up with new things. Say so we have to remember the things that we've forgotten um, because we already know them all. It's just that we have this amnesia called civilization uh, that we that we've layered upon ourselves and is getting deeper and heavier every day. Um, that kind of separates us from nature. Um, and in some, in some, like I'm not saying it's all bad. Like I said, it's important to keep your wits about you and, and not be a, a puddle of jelly. Uh, if you're uh, in your in, in the Alaskan wilderness, which I go to a lot, um, that wouldn't do me any good at all, and I'd be bare food very quickly um, if I did not keep <laughs> my wits about me and, and understand that I, you know there's this thing here and that doesn't want to get eaten. There's that thing out there that's much bigger that wants to eat, um, or there's you know this mountain that I'm climbing that I want to like maintain a relationship to gravitationally, and I don't want to fall off this mountain and maintain a or start another relationship to the ground gravitationally, which could be fatal um, because I know it's all ego and, and all of that, but you know, I'm kind of fond of my life right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are the things, those are the, they sound like pot dreams that we all just hit the bong really heavy. And we're sitting here talking about these kind of things, but they are realities um, of a sort that we have to deal with on some level of our day-to-day -day life. How much we deal with is by choice. Um, and how much of that can be opened up to an experience is what I was trying to get at. Um, I think Denny is, is uh, as an experiencer, that's why I like him here. Um, and also he's a great guy, but the, um, the thing that he brings to the table there is, is something that I was trying to construct in a way, um, which was, I was thinking this, now this is before Google, right? Remember this was the early days of the internet where there was a couple of search engines and they weren't that good. Um, Yahoo was actually something that was human curated at the time. Um, web crawler was, uh, you know, so there was not a lot of SEO as you could call it, what you would call now search engine optimization that was going on. However, I looked at the internet itself as a giant informational field and being that I was into very much into what's called relational databases at the time, which is, how does this word or this piece of information relate to that word or that piece of information through metadata? Um, I started to construct Ong's hat very much like that so that people would have experiences like Denny had where, you know, either I placed things in certain places. I didn't know about the website. I don't know about the website he's talking about, or I aligned the story in such a way that people would pick it up. And that's mostly what happened. It wasn't me doing it. It was other people kind of coming across it because I'd kind of laid it in their path. Um, and then of course, picking it up and signal boosting it, which then built this network uh, that, that then like became, uh, you know, a decentralized network where you could start tripping through all this stuff and, and you would eventually, or could eventually run across Ong's hat. And the opening paragraph on Ong's hat was you've been searching, searching for us without knowing it. That's the first sentence you read on the website. Um, it's the first sentence you read in the catalog. And that hit a lot of people really hard um, because they felt like, just like Denny, that they had kind of serendipitously tripped into this through synchronicities. And then there was this message when you land that says, you've been searching for us without knowing it, but here you are. We've been waiting for you. Um, and I think that's yeah. where he got the idea that it kind of had a cult feel to it, but, but 
one of the things that I always said is that it would never ever be used for for a cult to form a cult. Um, I want to make sure of that because I despise cults on all levels um, because it's groupthink and I hate groupthink. Um, but you know uh, the the whole thing was like kind of like welcome you found the others because Terrence McKenna was really big at that time and one of the things he was going around saying at the time was find the others you know and and that that is important um in this day and time that we live in where technology has essentially uh monasticized us where we're all sitting in our little cubicles talking to each other through cameras and and nobody's sitting together in a room anymore having these conversations and and you're not getting facial expressions half the time definitely with email you don't get it um you're missing uh tonal inflection with language there's like all this human experience is getting cut off and essentially um figuratively speaking we're kind of in the matrix we're in the pods right we kind of are we're all sitting in our little living rooms talking at each other but we don't see people really talking to each other and having lived learned experiences together and at the time i was still convinced that the internet could facilitate that um i'm not as convinced anymore but i definitely tried <laughs> Yeah, it definitely felt like the Matrix. Like finding the Onset and Anki Nebula story felt very much like you were being drawn through a narrative by Morpheus. Um, <laughs> anybody that has the time to go look at this story, dig into it a bit. It, once you go down that rabbit hole, it's even even knowing that uh, large portions of it were manufactured to elicit a certain kind of response, it's still f- super fascinating. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to notice an increase in synchronicities. Um, you're going to start questioning the malleability of reality. Um, and you're going to get into things like the Mandela effect and yeah, I was going <laughs> to mention that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it all kind of ties in. It's like, um, I was, I was saying earlier to Joseph, um, one of the things in, in the Mandela effect is, is called a flip flop. That's so, what I was going to ask you about. I knew you had a term for it. I was trying to remember, we talked a little while back about that. And I wanted to, yeah, get you to talk about that a bit. Yeah. So go for it. How? Yeah. So, so at the base of it, it's really just you know you you have a mem you you have a memory of a thing, um, and uh, you know everybody agrees to that thing. So uh, let's say, you know, the the Pepsi logo, we all have a, a certain memory of it being a certain way. Okay. Um, and then uh there's somebody comes online and says well it's changed you know the the swirl goes left instead of right and so we all go and look at it all of us with consensus go look at the new version of this logo and we go oh okay that's weird i must have misremembered that and then because you had that observation of that thing a week later somebody comes online and says guess what guys it's flipped back to facing the other direction and then we all go back and we look at that and go holy shit what the fuck is going on? Like, how, how is it possible that I observed a thing that was one way, it flipped to another way, and then it flipped back to the original state? And, and that this occurs a lot in the Mandela effect. And when you have one of these occurrences, personally, like this is part of your experience, you're, you're never going to question whether or not the Mandela effect is real or not. The Mandela effect is a bad term for a very complex phenomenon. Like, it... it because it ties into so many other things, I think, and it has to do with the malleability of reality. Reality is not as fixed and constant as you think it is. And when, when we come together and we think about a thing, we make it real. Magically, we collectively 
make that thing real. And th- and this does lad like lend some weird credence to simulation theory and a bunch of other stuff. But maybe maybe it's explainable in a more mystical way. Um, but it, it's going to land on one of those two really weird sides, right? Do you, do you have any examples, other other examples of that? Because I think you mentioned a couple to me that were, I like I had never heard of the flip-flop part of the Mandela effect. I just know that the, there's that one dimension of it where, you know, like the Berenstein Bears ones is the is the best example for, for me because I remember it as mm. E-I-N, not A-I-N. But can, do, yeah, you, for, do you have any other real examples of the flip-flop where people are mo- actually seeing it, you know, in, in a group setting, like you said? Yes. So the, the there. So most people experience the Mandela effect in in the common way, which is they they have a mem- they have a collective memory of a thing being one. Berenstein Bears is a great example. Most people remember it Berenstein when it's actually Berenstein. That's that's kind of the common. And and you could you know do a but Kit Kat is another one. You know people What's think the of Kit, the Kit Kat one. Kit Kat logo. You know, is there a dash between Kit and Cat? A lot of people remember. Yes, there was a dash between Kit and Cat. There's no dash. It never has been. Uh, or uh, uh, another good one is um, the you have to be a lot of these you have to be old enough to remember. But one is um, Moonraker the, with James Bond, Moonraker um, and Dolly um, and Jaws. Jaws was one of the characters with the with the, the braces in his mouth, right? Um, and with the big gag in that movie was Jaws looks to Dolly, who's this beautiful blonde girl, and he smiles at her, and you see his big bracy mouth, and then she smiles back, and she's got braces, and then they fo- they form a bond and a connection over that gag, right? But that never happened. She doesn't have braces. <laughs> she she's got full pearly white teeth, right? Okay, and so that blows a lot of people's minds because they have a distinct memory of her smiling with braces. I remember that. Ne- never happened. Braces? Doesn't exist. Go back and rent the movie on VHS, and you'll see she never had braces. So those are the common um, experiences for Mandela effect. But what is what really tips this over into like weird land? The, the most famous example, and because I experienced this, as did a number of other people, probably in the hundreds of thousands, I'm guessing. Um, were th- there was a it was Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. That movie where he goes to the moon. I've seen it a and, bunch and, of times. This will be great. I'm going to test this. Yeah. So uh, the the famous line is, um, uh, sorry. Now I'm stumbling because I'm I'm on a radio show. Um. So, uh, um, Houston, we've had a problem, right? Um. That's what everybody remembers, and that's fine. Somebody came on and said that's flipped around. It's not. It's no longer Houston. We've had a problem. It's Houston. We have a. Or sorry. I'm already reverse, reversing this because it gets confused. So everybody remembers Houston. We have a problem. A problem. Like it is happening right now. A problem. Somebody came online and said it's changed to Houston. We've had a problem. We have had a problem in past tense. So everybody's going, well, I don't remember it that way. They look at the clip. A lot of people pulled up DVDs. There's actually on YouTube, you can look up people pulling out their DVDs and putting it in their Blu-ray player and, and watching it. And they're going, it was never, we've had a problem. It was always, we had a problem. Um, or, or we have a problem. Uh, I thought it and was, then, we've got a problem. <laughs> so, so some people, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a consensus reality that it was, Houston, we have a problem. Um, everybody watches this, this clip and suddenly it's changed to, we've had a problem, past tense. And so everybody goes, oh, okay, well, it, it's just fuzzy memory bullshit. Like, I'm not, re- obviously, I'm not remembering this the right way. A couple weeks goes by and it's flipped back. 
Okay. So everybody watched it on their physical DVD and it's, it, it was Houston. We've had a problem past tense. And then now suddenly it's Houston. We have a problem present tense um, and brains melt. And I, I experienced that one firsthand. And so when I relate it back to Ong's hat and, and the Incunebula, it, it, it tripped me back into the mode of like, well, a lot of that material was really playing with how malleable reality actually is based on a group agreement about how a thing is. So if there's a fact that we all agree with, that's what it will be. And then if something shifts that, it won't be that anymore. Um, and so a lot of the information that, that Joseph was talking about at the time played with those concepts a lot. And that's why it's kind of a weird, mystical, magical, synthetic, created reality weird thing. And I have a, I have a big problem talking about the Ink Nebula with people when I try to explain what it was because the depth of what it was was so incredibly deep. And Joseph was pulling from so many different sources um, that it's really hard to nutshell this entire topic. And so what typically happens is we, we come on and we, we talk about what that whole thing was back in the 90s and people come away going, what the fuck was that guy talking about? This? You know, this is so many layers of conspiracy theory that I can't even wrap my brain around it. But at the end of it, it's like, it really centers around how fluid reality actually is, which is the most interesting thing about it. Yeah. Joseph? No, I think he, I think he summed it up. Um, Excuse me. One of the things I would say is um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of naivete in my approach. Um, I never, for for example, I I didn't, I thought I was creating a new form of narrative delivery um, that incorporated more. In fact, I called it living book process. I don't know if you remember that, Denny. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what I called it. And then later, it was picked up by Hollywood, of all places, and, and kind of commodified into alternate reality gaming, the first layer. Uh, luckily, there was a grassroots movement that grew up around that as well that I think put out a lot of really cool free stuff that I thought was interesting. And then the third part I never saw coming, which was the, which is the, wep- the weaponizing of it. Um, so now you see some conspiracy theories out there that that really from the outside look like an ARG um, that are, I'm not sure what their goals are other than some sort of propaganda and sometimes uh, agitprop, I think, is to agitate certain people into action for certain reasons that I don't necessarily always know and I don't even really want to know about. Um, But the, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it like that. Um, I was thinking about naming some things, but I don't think well, I'm going to. Can you can you just name some things where you think that, like the AR? I'm trying to 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 tease apart the ARG versus like a normal conspiracy. So, what are some examples of like what Hollywood have picked up? You don't have to get too controversial on the on the agitprop stuff, but what about just ARGs for people that aren't familiar with? Oh well, the the kind of the first well, there was a there was a community of people. Well, first of all, yeah, let me roll this back. So as I was winding up Ong's Hat in 2001, um, I decided that I was going to like call a halt to the game because, as Danny could testify, there was a couple of people. wasn't a lot, but it was very vocal minority of people that had taken this all way too seriously. Yeah. And um, so I decided to to roll it down and and once again point out that there was a, there was a CD-ROM that I had put out 
there was an interactive ebook. Um, and on that CD-ROM, there had always been this thing called the secret document, which wasn't a secret and it wasn't hard to find, but it was there and it basically stated the goals of what it was I was doing and why I was doing it. So that if anybody ever said, well, you didn't tell me this was a game, I'd be like, it's right there. Like, you, you need to be told for one reason, for one thing. And, and the other thing is like, it's right there. So I, again, made this very apparent to everybody. There's this document in the CD-ROM. If you didn't find it, here it is. And then let's talk about, let's give it a little, everybody a little time to cool off because some people decided to get hot about it. And then let's have a conversation about why did people believe this and what, and, and it doesn't delegitimize the experiences. In fact, I think it makes it very interesting to talk about. It gives us a framework, a common framework, so we can talk about it. And about that time, I was contacted by Electronic Arts EA, and they were doing something called Majestic. And it was, for all intents and purposes, a, a conspiracy theory-oriented alternate reality game. It really, I would think, would be the first one outside of Ong's Hat. And it was commercial. Um, and I was on the beta team because they wanted me there. And they were eventually going to actually use Ong's Hat material in this game. Uh, the game got called off really quickly uh, towards the end of 2001 because of 9-11. And because the material included... Uh, some information about a terrorist group bombing buildings. And, I, and I, don't, I don't know how old you guys are, but if you can remember that right after 9-11, it was a chilling effect on anything that could, that could be controversial in that arena at all was just silenced. Yeah. And it was done by consensus. I don't, I don't think the government was going around stomping on everybody's head. It was just there was a consensus of it's in bad taste. We just don't talk about that kind of stuff right now. And I get it. I don't know. I don't know about that because you know what? I watched Zeitgeist. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched the beginning <laughs> of it the other day. And Zeitgeist, you know, it's old and it's it's kind of an entry level for a lot of people a long time ago. But you know what's interesting about Zeitgeist is the beginning is like CNN, Fox, CBS, all the news networks going off about hearing bombs and hearing explosions. And it's like, you know, all that stuff, you forget that all that stuff was on the news for a couple of days. Yeah, it was. And then and then it was like, so was it like, did, did, did I don't know, it almost seems to me like it was like, listen, motherfuckers, we're not talking <laughs> like that anymore. No, I, I mean, at least not for the gaming community. The gaming community was like, this is some serious stuff. The nation needs time to grieve, and we shouldn't be providing this kind of stuff as entertainment. Right. Um, I think I think it was out of respect. I really yeah, do. Yeah, um, yeah. I I know the internal conversations that I was part of at EA. Wait, Go ahead. Danny? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, just really quickly, I just I played Majestic. It was so much fun because they would actually phone you, like because you got to give personal details and your phone number and stuff at home, and they would phone you in the middle of the night, and you get like this this deep throat guy talking to you, giving you information on the next thing you had to do in the game. It was so much fun. Like nothing broke through kind of the barriers like that game did and ha really hasn't since. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. yeah. And the timing was unfortunate um, because it was, I mean, he, some of the stuff that was coming down the line was very cool. Cause I was on the back end of it. And, um, and, and unfortunately it, it got cut short, but what I met in doing the beta, the back end of that game was this whole community including people like the late Dave Sobolski, who I became very good friends with, of people that were creating grassroots ARGs because Dave had, had witnessed the entire Ong's Hat thing and said, I want to do this as an art form. 
and started doing it. And there was like this, all these communities that sprung up. Like there was a forum called Collective Detective. There was one called Unfiction. Um, and it's where ARGs came from. And they were not commercial. They were completely grassroots, community driven, um, you know, highly, uh, very smart participants, people that were working together in groups, which I found very encouraging because it kind of was pulling people back together into groups and learning how to work together to solve things, which I thought was a great exercise. And then um, Steven Spielberg, when he came out with uh, the, re- the, the uh, when he, when he picked up Stanley Kubrick's originally Stan- Stanley Kubrick's movie, AI and did a Steven Spielberg movie, um, they launched something called the beast, which was the first commercial ARG that was attached to a Hollywood property. And that was wildly successful. And soon afterwards, um, I think Halo launched uh, I Love Bees. Yeah, Bungie did that. And that was based off of the stuff that you did, too. Yeah. And um, I didn't know how to feel about that. I definitely didn't like the Spielberg thing because I don't like him as a director. I think he's a hack. But um, that's just my opinion. The, um, the, uh, the, The Bungie thing I thought was cool. There was some cool stuff that went down with that. But then, then the success of those two things, it just all of a sudden, boom, it blew up. And, and Dave and I were getting phone calls left and right because Dave had done this thing called Change Agents, which was really good. Um, and then he started working on a, kind of a, what would you call it? Uh, did you do Chasing the Wish at all, Denny? It was... No, I, I, remember, I remember it, but I didn't yeah. do it. It was kind of a, a chapter two to Ong's Hat. It started in Ong's Hat and then it kind of took off from there and went on its own story. I really liked it. I participated in it. I, I played a, a role in it. Um, I actually met some people that found if they found a certain secret in that game, um, they were told a time and place to meet me at a restaurant in uh, Los Angeles where I came in all paranoid and sweaty and had a very uh, uncomfortable meal with them <laughs> and left them with a signed copy of the Onks hat book. <laughs> and then I ran, I had already made arrangements with the, with the uh, owner of the sushi restaurant. I ran out the back through the kitchen and out the back door and left the guy sitting there, but I paid the bill. That's, um, isn't that the same story where they chased you home because they were trying to figure out if it was real or not? Yeah, that was one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard that story on one of the audio clips I listened to. It was pretty funny. Um, but the, um, where we were going with this was it, it suddenly, Dave and I were getting all these phone calls from like CAA, you know, wanted to represent us and uh, people that wanted us to do that thing. And I heard that more times than not. Can you do that? thing that you've done before that thing that you did um for our movie launch for our toys for our blah 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 and i i finally just i did one with dave which was a lot of fun um i i played some roles in uh, art of the heist for audi and it's where somebody won an audi and i thought that was cool but then i just i didn't want to do it anymore it just it felt too much like prostitution to me um and so i stopped doing it i just started hanging up on these people and then after a while i started saying something nasty and then hanging up, but you know, um, was that but, after the three letter agencies got asked you? To, to no, make I mean, they never, they never actually hit me up. The only people that hit me up was the, uh, the army or no, the Navy hit me up and they wanted to talk to me about synchronicity induction. And I just like hung the phone up. I'm like, I was, my mind was blown. I'm like, why is the Navy interested? But if you guys, uh, what synchronicity Google, induction I'm interested in. Well, they wanted to know if there was any way that they could utilize synchronicity to predict where torpedoes were going to go. I like that you'll tell me, but you won't tell the U.S. Navy. 
Yeah. I appreciate um, that. Well, no, no. That's what they were asking me is if, if there was any, if, if I could, if I could find any use case for this. And I just said, I don't want to work with you guys. And I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I don't to this day, how, I don't know how those two would fit together, but the fact that they're interested in it didn't make sense to me at the time. But then I thought about it and I'm like, well, the army did fund remote viewing for yeah, years yeah. and years. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Well, I think, couldn't it be the same premise as like, no one used to be able to throw a baseball hundred miles an hour. And then one guy did. And now, you know, every team's got a couple pitchers that can throw it 105. Yeah. So, you know, if I, if you can start, you know, if you can just everyone on the boat thinks that torpedo is going to hit that other submarine and that does. And then eventually it just does it all the time. Consensus reality. Yeah. The way, the way they explained it to me is they were, they were thinking more about the mathematics is, is, is did I, had I come up with some sort of algorithm that would allow me to use synchronicity in the game? I, they, they had been observing Ong's hat um, I did see some creepy stuff in the weblogs over the years, but I mean, I did. I thought maybe it was just some bored technician, you know. Um, but I, I think that they had been observing it as a phenomena. It, it, I mean, I, this again. I started this out by saying I was amazingly naive. I was. I had no idea that this would get on the radar. No, no pun intended, <laughs> of somebody like the Navy, or the Army, or the, or the DoD, which eventually did come knocking. Um, and I said absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was even, I think DARPA put out a, uh, an RFI for, uh, helps help in designing ARGs for, um, doing some sort of, uh, training, you know, like putting people into situational training and using ARGs to do it because of the immersive belief system, blah, 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 mm -hmm. you know, and, and all this, I never saw any of this coming. I never saw the weaponization of it. I thought that I was creating an art form, not weapons. Not yeah. definitely not propaganda tools, you know, um, but yeah, unfortunately, it's that same the same things that can be used for good can be used for not so good. Yeah. Well, I kind of that's funny. It kind of leads into a question I wanted to ask you guys about any reservations on the you know the fictional aspects of this conspiracy, especially now that conspiracies have been weaponized. I mean, you know, we have people believing that. Maybe some people believing that this is a, a real thing and they're chasing it down, but yet it's been sort of some of it's been fabricated. I mean, I I have mixed feelings about it myself. I'm not, you know, Darren wanted to start faking crop circles for a while there, and I was like, no, that's not. I'm still gonna do that. You know? Oh, we weren't supposed to talk about that. Well, here's my thing. I just want to do a crop circle because I think something crazy will happen if I make one. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that's, that's it. Awesome. Think, we we interviewed a circle, circle maker. Well, we interviewed a circle maker. We interviewed a circle maker. That's what. That's where I got the idea. Yeah, yeah. I just happened I, to do it under a flight pass, so I could see if it would go in the paper. I, I wish I could remember the name of the documentary, but there, there was a. You may have seen it, Graham. It, it was about uh, one of the prominent circle researchers and and how much he was hounded by the government in in the UK, um, during his research. Um, it was really interesting because it kind of crossed over into, yes, there's groups that do this thing as an art form, but there's also this legitimate phenomenon that, um, it, it is kind of being, uh, upsurped by this other stuff, like it, being clouded, you, you know, the, the, the reality of it is being clouded by this other agenda which is also real. And this is what makes it a thing so much mushy because yes, there's a legitimate, group of people that do circles as an art form, but there's also a, an underlying phenomenon that's really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I wonder, back to the torpedoes. I wonder... <laughs> well, so I, don't, I, I want to get back to my question. If you too, get a couple actually, subs yeah. under the water, I wonder now... <laughs> Does the entire world need to influence that reality, or are they now put into some sort of bubble where it's only the people on the two subs that are affecting that reality? Like, I wonder if it fragments off like that. Splintered, yeah. If it I think was it splinters, if, Graham. Yeah, well, if it was a simulation, you could see it happen that way. Like, maybe then if you get by yourself in a room and no one else in the world's there, you could start, like, just manifesting hamburgers. It does feel like if you have enough people believing in a certain aspect of reality, it becomes so. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like that Star Trek thing where was it like Star Trek predicting the future or was it Star Trek influencing engineers that were going to build all that stuff or did it actually just influence the reality of the people watching it to that we just manifested it? I know. I was, and wondering, I would if Joseph, well, I was thought, wondering if that happened in, in this thing. Maybe Joseph was picking up on stuff that was really happening in Ong's hat. No, I've changed my stance on that in five years and three hundred podcasts for sure. Well, that so like uh, the the. Do you guys remember the Lone Gunman, the X Files spinoff? Mm-hmm. And they they did that episode that was basically play by play nine eleven. Like it it ran exactly as 9-11 ended up happening which was it was filmed before 9-11 happened was and how eerie, how eerie and spooky that was and it ended up you know the show yeah. was canceled but um so that in that that's an interesting component to what i feel like some of the aspects of the incunabula and onks hat touched on enough real things that it it kind of um started to spawn real things as a result is that not true joseph yeah i mean that there's a there's a method there um you can read uh, hierarchical studies and ethnomethodology, and there's something called the breaching experiment, where you make up something and try to get people to believe it, but you you make it more believable by anchoring it, as it as it's called, with real, true, real life, verifiable facts. So you tie it into you tie like just enough real things into it, so that a cursory look over is like, well, yeah, well, this is this part's real, this part's real. So these parts I'm not sure about, maybe they're real. And so once you've done that, you've kind of opened the door to people walking in and, and doing what's called suspension of disbelief, you know, in the gaming world and in the acting world. And, and literally, when you go see a movie, you do that. When you sit in the audience at, at a theater, um, you're suspending your dif- disbelief for at least I hope you are for 90 minutes. Or if you're not, you're not having a very enjoyable movie experience, <laughs> you know. But I mean, you know, I mean, that's how you can go to. A movie, like for example, when I went to see um, uh, Infinity Wars, um, when I walked out of that theater, I saw people that were ashen, like people that were just like white-faced, drawn looks because they'd watched all their superheroes die. (laughs) It was I was just I was stunned. I was like, wow, these people are really feeling this, Um, and it's because of suspension of disbelief. I mean, those were not CGI animations up there on the screen. Those were (laughs) those were the those were the uh, the uh, superheroes that they grew up reading in the comic books. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and on a very on a, on a union level, they're archetypal, so they are dead at least for now until April. Um, they are die. They are dead uh, to those people. Uh, there was an archetype that was killed in front of them that they're not sure is going to come back because nobody's quite sure who's coming back and who's not. So I mean, you know, Marvel Film Studios. I think that's what Disney now. Um, 
yeah, they, they, they definitely played with that a lot um, because they had a story and a bunch of archetypes that a lot of us grew up with. I mean, I'll, I'll admit amazing Spider-Man and Captain America was what I read growing up. Um, those, I was a Marvel kid. I did not like DC at all um, until much later when Batman got dark again. But um, yeah, I mean, you can do some, some, some interesting things as long as you has have people's beliefs and their emotions tied up into it when in fact they're doing it and, and i know this sounds manipulative but it's not as long as it's consensual and everybody says this is what we're doing when it gets to the point where people stop saying that that's when you need to pull the plug on your project yeah that's kind of what i was getting at is there any reservations about propagating a partly fake conspiracy and and you know having some people believe in that if i had to do it like today i would not do it yeah. Um, yeah. There was a there was a lot of there was a window. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Is there any place where I could go, like, try one of these, like, AR ARGs today? Is there anything like that exists, kind of like what you built going on today? Um, there's a grassroots community on Reddit, uh, Reddit R A R G, uh, uppercase letters. That um, there's pretty much a couple a day that people are launching, and and they're all like homemade grassroots some of them are horrible some of them are really really good that's kind um, of what the escape rooms came into in, in a way like now that's kind of what an you know an arg is well and, an, an, an arg pasta as well yeah Sorry. creepy pasta um i mean and uh darren you probably appreciate this i mean a lot of args are very much like D D. they're they're like role-playing games that mm-hmm. just kind of keep running forever and there's a kind of much bigger party that's <laughs> dealing with the challenges I don't appreciate um, that at all. I was actually this morning just complaining. Actually, I think it was yesterday morning. I was, I was complaining to Adam that because I was like, who won the, these guys every Monday and, and Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday and Sunday? They play D&D. It's only Monday. <laughs> and uh, on Tuesday, I was, he's like, oh, yeah, last night was D&D night. And I'm like, who won? And he's like, well, D&D is not really something you win. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that would just drive me crazy. Like, I need someone needs to win, you know. Someone needs to be dying, you know. I just can't. It's not just. Is that when he then he said he didn't perform very well or something like that afterwards? Yeah, to you? yeah, yeah. So he... oh, he was talking about D and D. I get it. <laughs> now he finally gets the that text. That makes more no. sense. That makes more sense than what I thought he was saying. Huh? Well, see, you you probably wouldn't have liked Ong's hat because it was designed to be what's called an infinite game, which means there was no zero-sum thinking supposedly attached to it. But would I know that going into it? Yeah, no. you would. You, well, you would figure it out because there there is there is no there is no conclusion. There's no there's no solve to anything. Um, right, there's, right. There's infinite solves. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There's also a counter conspiracy, just so it's on the table that Joseph is telling us a big lie right now and that there really is travel ashrams and there really is a parallel earth where people are traveling to see now he's getting mad yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna get, so, a, uh, get an mib visit in the middle of the night buddy <laughs> <laughs> but but going back into into some of that what a part of what was interesting with the story unraveling was there was you know a sizable group within that that was that was studying Ong's hat um that was hyper obsessed with it joseph touched on it a little bit but some people were just like absolutely bonkers crazy to the point where they were stalking joseph and and everybody kind of who was involved on the periphery of it um some people just completely lost their minds with it which is true of most modern day conspiracies and 
Uh, but it's because they didn't actually know it was an ARG because it was the first, which was interesting. Yeah, that, well, that's what's interesting. I'm thinking about some of the contemporary conspiracies. Like, and, and I don't, <clears throat> I'm not trying to push you to name anything, Joseph, but when you mentioned weaponized conspiracies and some of the stuff that you didn't really want to talk about, I mean, I, what comes to mind for me is some of the, the more extreme ones like Flat Earth and stuff like that that just seem like they're more of a psyop than an actual... Uh, an actual mm. conspiracy like is that happening do you think at the at the level now i mean like well, look what's happening these days with the term conspiracy and how it's just been i mean it's all over the place and the, you know there's <clears throat> the mainstream media is the first one to lie about stuff and, and do fake news and yet they want to label everybody else as a conspiracy theorist i mean is there is there some well, of this let's, intentional let's, stuff let's, going let's on find a couple things here number one um I kept information online at all times during the game that this was a game. And then when I realized that people were just being lazy or incomplete or, or whatever, mm -hmm. or didn't want to look, um, I, I closed the game down and then I made very, very, very certain that people like, this is what we did. This is, and we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had not seen some of these other people, like any flat earthers or reptilian shape-shifting overlord people or, <laughs> any of these other people come clean on the fact that they're, they're, they're selling a load of horse shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I see that, then we can have the conversation of like, uh, was it an ARG? Right. I don't think for them it's an ARG. I think for them it's a grift because I honestly don't believe very many of those people actually believe, well, actually I have inside information that some of them don't, but again, not going to name names. Um, because these people get ugly when you threaten their little, their little specific to specific to flat earth or specific to other ones. No, no, just, just conspiracy theory yeah, in general. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You know, and, and so uh, I don't, I don't see the flat earth as an ARG. What I see resembling an ARG, but again, still not declaring itself as such would be something like Pizzagate, um, QAnon. Um, I have to wonder about those things because they definitely resemble an ARG to me except um, I don't see that they're constructed for the purpose of having fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's like um, in, in speaking with, with you about that earlier, it, it feels like a lot of that stuff is there's this weird organic ARG that happens when like minds come together and they're like, you, this is my weird theory and this is your weird theory. Let's mash them together and let's, let's keep growing this organically. And they, they're basically creating fiction with bits of truth and and a lot of fake narrative because initially it's kind of an end game to play with each other right so it feels like some of the the modern day conspiracies that have spun out of control really did start as an ARG is they didn't know they were creating that initially it's kind of the group think created an ARG hmm. <laughs> yeah what, that, what do you that's think? a possibility yeah, yeah. The Q and I's are great. I tend I tend to look at all that stuff and just wonder if there if there wasn't some sort of, I mean it's gotten it's gotten to the point now where I think it's a little more sophisticated than it was for us in the in the nineties, in the early well two thousand two thousand one but like we'll, we'll call it the late nineties. Um, I mean remember the time at that time, X Files was on television. It was very popular, if not the most popular thing on television. Art Bell was still doing what he did and, and like pulling in like 20 million people a night worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we were riding the crest of that wave and that was not intentional. It just kind of synchronistically happened while what we were doing happened. Um, so 
there's there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is, I don't know that uh, definitely Pizzagate was constructed with with bad intentions, and it may have organically arisen, but I don't think that there was ever anybody in the beginning of this whole thing that really believed some of the stuff they were saying. I really don't. They couldn't. I mean, do you think they could? There, yeah, there's no on, that evidence. One, on that one on Pizzagate. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I think there was evidence on Pizzagate, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to ignore all the things that they found on that, personally. That's what my thought is. Yeah, but, but, but to me, it's more centrist than that. It's like, yes, there were some things, but a lot of, like, half of it was held up by theory. Yeah. And half of it, and, and I mean, I'm even saying half of it might be a bit liberal to say that there was half truth there. There, there was definitely some weird shit, and I, th- I think we'd all be lying to ourselves. If we didn't think the elite were doing some weird, bizarre bullshit. Yeah, but yeah. it feels like a lot of these things. It feels like a lot of these things spiral out of control because we, we, we tell a self-reinforcing story to ourselves, right? Yeah, I feel like those things are are organic to start, and then they become co-opted, or they become uh, people who enter that that don't believe, and they they pro- and they spread this information or make it difficult for people to tease out the real from the, the fake. It's almost like it, totally. it starts yeah. out like an organic investigation that turns into an ARG from some well, we external influence. We build giant echo chambers. That's not helping. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, think, absolutely. I, think, I think I would say that they might start out as organic investigations and then they're noticed by people who are very good at uh, moving narratives in directions that, that, that make them weaponized. And I think that's, it got co-opted. Yeah. I mean, it was colonized. Yep by people that yeah. and you know, I, I take it back the, the people that initially probably started talking about pizzagate initially in the yeah. early, early days probably were um you know legitimately looking into something that interested them that they had noticed um and then from there i think it got noticed by the wrong people who then co-opted it and started driving it and weaponizing it for other for other purposes and i think uh mm. QAnon to me struck me as like weaponized from day one, but that's just my my spidey sense telling me that. I've heard I heard yeah, you. There's, there's a lot of asked you if you're Q. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, a lot of people have. <laughs> Are you Q? <laughs> if you if you're Q, you just gotta you Absolutely know. This, this is the place. Us. This is the place to come yeah, out. This would be huge for us. If you're Q, <laughs> this is fucking. Drama. I wish I could help you guys. Let's, but, throw, but let's I, throw Q in the title anyway. I think we got Q. We got Q. <laughs> we got it. We got there's, Q. It's real. There's there's lots lots of conspiracy about Q being you know I whether it's it, whether it's um, user curated information or whether it's an AI that's been programmed to spit out and regurgitate information uh, it's that's an interesting one I actually also think that uh, John Titor and the time travel hoax I don't know if you guys remember that yeah um, is another one that fits into the kind of classic ARG kind of structure where there's a lot of really interesting truth to some of the things being said and a lot of speculation on where things are going to go in the future. And there, actually it's still quite fascinating. Some of the things that were said in, in the John Titor travel time travel case um, that, that still line up and, and, and have really good kind of foresight into where things were going early in the art bell days. Anyways, that one reminds me a lot of how Ong's had and, and the ink were kind of um, formed and, like that was another one that kind of spiraled out from that yeah. structure. So what are, what are some examples of how Q is weaponized? Do you think? No, it just it weaponized, you know, doesn't, 
when I say weaponized, I don't always necessarily mean um, some sort of uh, dichotomy of good versus evil. I just mean that it's that it's being utilized to drive a narrative for um, one group of people against another group of people. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. That's that's kind of what I thought you meant. Yeah. 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 And it seems like from the time it showed up, that's what its intention was. Was to drive some some narrative that you know villainized one group of people and yeah heroized another group of people, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah. You don't think it's a patriot? You don't think it's uh, Trump or the other guy or one of the other guys that's with <laughs> Trump flying around? You don't think there's any? Do you give any credence to that? I don't know. Is it you? Because uh, uh, Q, <laughs> Q, QAnon said some crazy shit. Like some of it is, uh, again, some I of it is. I don't follow on... it. I got to be honest. I followed yeah, we... it for the first like month or two, and for the first like three months, I was like all in. Then I was all out. Then I was, and I just got exhausted and <laughs> fucking quit watching everything. I wanted to. I wanted to mention uh, before we run out of time and stuff that uh, you you taught like there's a couple different things you you guys wanted to, to mention or talk about that are sort of. Um, you know, a really interesting part of this whole thing. And did I just want to make sure you guys got those points across or we, did we touch on them? Yeah, for me, I just wanted, I, I was more, I was less interested in talking about the, um, you know, the uh, controversial parts of all of this. And I just really wanted to like, for once, um, <clears throat> talk about why it was constructed and how, and some of how it was constructed. Um, because like in, in two interviews that I've done recently, um, and by the way, this is absolutely my last interview. Um, the reason I say that is I, I'd already, I'd done all these other interviews by the end of last year and then they just came out this year. Okay. And then I told, and then Denny asked me to do the show and, and I said yes, because Denny asked me. Yeah. So Thanks that's guys. That's why you, you guys get Thanks, the last one. Awesome. We get the last interview with Q. There's <laughs> one more that I did in December that's still in editing and that's, uh, JG uh, Michael's <laughs> Parallax Views, but I, that, that's already in the can. So that was done in December. I think it's coming out sometime in March. Um, and then I'm done talking about this because, you know, as I as I said to the last two people, I'm just like, I've said everything I want to say. Unfortunately, thankfully, you guys are just going to let this fly, and that's cool. So I got to say some things that I said before that didn't make the cut. Yeah, yeah, there um, is no cut here. All right, no, I'm gonna yeah, cut they're, this they're more right interested this in, be in the spectacular parts of the story, you know, yeah. and, the, and the controversial parts and, and the sexy parts and the clickbait, so to speak. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to drag anybody down. I think both Salon and, and Jed did a great job with uh, the the uh, his model piece as well. Um, but you know, they're they're time constrained and they're word constrained, and so. I rambled on for three hours about why I would, why, how I built this thing and why I built it. And, uh, that's just not, I, I get it. That's not interesting to most people. Any plans to build any more? Absolutely not. <laughs> hmm. Um, I, I just want to say that, uh, one of the things that doesn't get covered a lot, I, I, I actually attribute the Incunebula Ong's hat and, and going down that rabbit hole of, you know, what constitutes, stable reality and and how much our influence on reality you know changes reality that whole thing um it did push me into um working in a career in virtual reality and building synthetic realities um in a really weird parallel way um and i think for a lot of people that were were into this material very early on it it did 
pushed them into careers that were kind of unusual. Um, and uh, it was a really fascinating and fun time that probably can't be replicated now in within with current tech. Um, so if, if anybody has the time to dig into it and go kind of go in the Wayback Machine and and dig all this stuff back up. It's it's re- a really fascinating story. I'm so glad that Joseph actually put his intention behind it because it revealed some kind of core truths about um, how reality functions. And I think that at the end of it, that's that's what it gave a lot of us was this little insight into, oh, well, maybe reality is kind of mushy and fuzzy and we we can all have a greater influence on it um, as a as a collective. Yeah, I was going to ask you about how how that affected your you know your decisions to uh, get into VR. So go ahead, Joseph. Oh, I was going to say if people are really yes. interested in doing a deep dive, um, the the Michael Kinsella book, um, Legend Tripping Online: The Search for Ong's Hat. Um, <clears throat> there, there was a college professor that wrote a book that is now used as a textbook in folklore histories and. Couple other, I've been actually asked to a couple of universities in the past to speak um, on uh, multidisciplinarian uh, classes where people are using different types of media to tell stories. And um, he basically kind of covered uh, the, that area of history for what happened on the Dark Planet board, um, which we had no idea we were being observed by a college professor who was writing his thesis on us. Um, <laughs> but there it is; it's a book now, and uh, actually gets used in uh, in the classrooms. Nice. University. Did this yeah. change your guys' opinion on magic at all? Like whether it's ritual magic or other types of magic, and do you have any daily kind of or or regular practice in that kind of stuff? It, re- it reinforced mine, but mine was already pretty deep because I've been doing ritual magic for twenty years, and so I, I'd already seen a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't need a lot of convincing, um, but it definitely reinforced it that it could be even bigger than some of the things I'd seen. Um, I still I do uh, less Western Hermetic tradition now, and I actually spent uh, some time in a Zen monastery, and so I practice uh, a form of Zen now uh-huh. um, that is magical in its own way. How much do you contribute? How much do you ad- attribute um, the synchronicity induction to to the magic part of it? Fifty percent. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Is it's it's a big well. Denny and I were talking about this earlier. That we, I said, what most people miss, and I think what a lot of ritual magicians, Western magicians, miss, especially people from like the Thelemite tradition, miss, um, and even people from from like a, a tradition like Golden Dawn. What they really miss is that co-creative means that you're only partially <laughs> yeah. responsible yeah. for the creation. Yeah, um, there's something on the other side that you're pushing against that's pushing back on you equally. Yeah, and and you can move it a little bit, but you, you you're not going to alter it completely. Um, yeah. You're going to come to some sort of happy medium um, where it's like, well, I I wish it was a little more this way, you know. And then and then you can do a subtle influence on it, which is what yeah. real magic is about. <clears throat> That's why you don't you don't just Harry Potter this into like you know from from an orange <laughs> to an apple, you know, um, or from from a from a grapefruit to a banana. It's <laughs> It's more of like, well, I can, can I make this grapefruit less bitter and more enjoyable? Yeah. Yeah. I'm right down the middle. It's either we're in a simulation or it's some deeper mystical thing. And, uh, I don't know. All I know is when I retire, I'm, I'm going to pretend that I'm Gandalf and I'm going to live in the woods <laughs> and I'm going to have a little shack 
and I'll be a hermit and it'll be, it'll be good. Nice. Sounds <laughs> wonderful. Sounds I'll just believe that I have magic. I just named my latest D and D character Gramdolf. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gramdolf. Yeah. Gramdolf. All right. Well, uh, I think we'll wrap it up then. Unless you guys have anything else you want to say, Danny, do you want to mention anything else? No, no, just don't believe the hype. <laughs> Explore deeply. Yeah. And Joseph is not Q. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. But we'll put links to your, your guys' websites and the show notes and all that as well. And uh, if people, is there a way to get a hold of you, Joseph, if people want to dig deeper? No? Okay, perfect. You're, this is your last one. <laughs> well, really, we do thank you for the awesome conversation and coming here for your last uh Last kick of the can here. It's a great us. place to finish it. off. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I've listened to your show before and I, and I, and as a, uh, a way of endorsing the show, I am a, uh, uh, a dyed in the wool, uh, dedicated squatty potty user because of you guys. <laughs> that's wow. Awesome. That's good to know. We make no money from squatty. Potty. I, I even <laughs> have the inflatable one that goes with me when I go on vacation. Oh, that's fantastic. What? Yeah. I didn't it's even all know because that I heard existed. about it on your show. And the funny thing is they're probably the closest sponsor we've ever had. <laughs> and, they, and, they won't, and they won't talk to us they won't talk to us they won't talk to us, won't talk uh-huh. to us so i wanted to have them on the show they were like oh yeah well come on we'll check it out and then they never no, heard the, from yeah. them again i think they blocked us as soon as they saw the doobie in the, in the moai's mouth they probably right. said now and this is from people who have a squatting unicorn on their commercial i mean come on yeah, exactly that's right hey they'll be sorry one day they'll be they like will. hey they will. we could have went on that show actually we'd still have them we forgive you <laughs> We want some free squatty potties this time, though. We need it. Yeah, those things are pricey, aren't they? Yeah, yeah we need to hand them out to guests. We got a high toilet in the bathroom, too. Graham's feet barely reach the ground. I need extended, like, nine inch ones instead of the six inch ones. Yeah. So. Ah. This is a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, get the, you know, the, I, I think, I actually think they stopped making it, but there was a period of time a couple of years ago where they were making an inflatable one, which is, I still have, um, that was higher than the stool. And so a lot of times I just leave that inflated in my bathroom and use that one instead. And then I can deflate it, put it in my, in my, uh, travel kit yeah. suitcase and take yeah. it with me when I yeah. go on the road. Nice. There you go, <laughs> it's good to wash that one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Cause you know, sometimes you, you, you know, you your aim way. is not true. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys. Well, thanks for thanks coming lot, on the eh? show. Come back anytime. If you decide to come out of retirement, maybe after the Q thing wraps up, then uh, let us know. <laughs> You're going to get me killed, man. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Take yeah, care. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Are we out? We're out. We're out. And that was our chat mm-hmm. with Joseph and Denny. Denny was on right around like 100 and something. I can't remember now. Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of a long time ago. Three or four years ago. Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah, it was fine. I didn't I even know really what I was getting into. I know. It was great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. I knew that flew by. Like, it really went fast. These are the best shows. Unfortunately, like, we got another one coming I up. I thought we were talking minutes. about virtual reality. Yeah, no. And then no, right well, at the end, you're like, no, nah, this is something different. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, I have a mixed feelings about the whole. You know, I didn't even know that was the thing. The whole genesis of like sort of some fake sort of games or conspiracies and all that, but it's, uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like it. What was I going to check? I don't know what you're going to check. Ah, shit. I lost it. I yeah, but you can something. see how it, it influences Danny's games uh, when anybody's looking for this v- virtual reality stuff. They got great games at Cloudhead Games. I mean, I didn't want to get into that, 
for this episode. Everybody knows, you know, who he is, but there's some great adventure sort of puzzle style games in there. You know, two was, hours in a virtual space is pretty cool. It was before our numbering. Yeah. So it's... Uh... Funny how magic's in there again. June, eh? June magic's in synchronicity. 2014. So it was, like, it was on our one year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. I think yeah. your sister's on that episode too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Head over to grandamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. Or maybe you want to go to uh, grandamerica.ca slash Stripe or Patreon or whatever. We're not going to be fussy. Just uh, head on over to one of those today and do support the show so that we can exist. Because we like existing. Exactly. We, yeah. And we know that at least 0.7% of you want us to exist, too. Yeah. And we so thank let's get you. up to 1.7. Oh. Yeah, Ooh, he's this guy. Double that. 1.4. Double This it. guy is shooting for the 1. star. 1.4. 1.4. 14 is my number. Too. That's your number, little guy. Little furry guy. 1.4 meters tall. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Baby, you're just a single solitary drop in the bucket, baby. You're just a drop in the bucket, baby. You're just a single solitary drop in the bucket, baby.
Sunrise Corner Store The Sunrise Corner Store The Sunrise Corner Store Pinching Pennies La da da da
shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. If more you supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> Tell them Felix sent you there. 